Hey everybody and welcome to the new DCI. This is the Darkcast Interviews. I'm your host Jonathan Miley and this is episode number one. Now you may be thinking, wait a minute, I've heard interviews on the Darkcast before, why is this number one? Well, that's because we are splitting Darkcast Interviews from... Uh, the normal dark cast. So you'll have the dark cast episode 100 and on, or our normal tangential weird conversations. Uh, DCI is our new interview. Uh, numbering system, and then we've also got Darkcast After Hours, which you will be able to check out later this week. Uh, anyway, joining us today is Andrew Hockulik, who currently works for Drinkbox Games. Uh, they're the guys that brought us Guacamelee. Uh, he also works with uh, Ryan Vandenick, uh, who is making Citizens of Earth, um, you know, the head of Eden Industries. Uh, so we have a really great talk. We talk about the games that he's currently working on, what he used to work on, all kinds of different things. We had a great conversation. Um, also on with me today is Jeremy Meyer, and uh, we just we hope you enjoy this episode. If you want to find out more about Dark Station, you can do that at darkstation.com. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at darkstation underscore com. If you want to subscribe to us on iTunes, you can do that at iTunes. Uh, we are the Dark Cast. While you're there, give us a review, let us know what you think, and if you want to drop us an email, you can do that at podcast at darkstation.com. Uh, also, any information about Andrew's games will be in the show notes, so be sure to check that out. Uh, and Again, we hope you enjoy this episode. On with the show. Welcome to the Darkcast, Andrew. Uh, how are Thanks. you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you guys? I'm doing well. Yeah, pretty good. Steam sale started yesterday, so I'm bracing my wallet. Oh, yes. Preparing I've, for the horrible things that are going to happen to it. I've been holding back. I think I, maybe like $8 so far. Nice. But now they have that stupid badge system, and the more you spend, the more oh, badges you can get. Oh, that's, that's a terrible thing. <laughs> like the gamification I, of of purchasing. Yep. Uh, seriously, it, it works so well because I purchased one thing and then I, I purchased it on my phone and your phone doesn't like alert you of that stuff. Mm. And then when I got home, I had something in my inventory. I'm like, oh, what's this? And I'm like, oh, I got a badge. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, like instantly, I'm just like, I want more badges. Mm-hmm. So I think that'll make them a lot of money this year. Oh yeah, and I mean, um, I I was gonna buy. Uh, two things. I got Cart Life, um, which was like two dollars, and yeah, uh, Starseed Pilgrim, um, which was also two dollars or something like that. And uh, I go to the checkout, and it's got a little progress bar, and it tells you like how close you are to not your next badge, but the next trading card. And yeah. I was like, oh, if I spend ten dollars, I'll get a trading card. I don't even know what trading <laughs> cards are because I haven't paid any attention to that, but I want one. Uh, <laughs> They're new and cool. Yeah. Uh, and so I ended up getting uh, I Divine Cybermancy and Bionic Commando, which the last one of those I immediately regretted getting, but oh well, it was two dollars. Have you had time to fire up Cart Life yet? I've not, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's really, I was it's really good. 
I was kind of hovering on it last night, and I'm like, I'm not really sure I'm in the mood for this. Because my list is very similar to yours. It's pretty much that, all that same stuff, except I got Bionic Commando rearmed, and then uh, I also got To the Moon. Mm. Yeah, I, I got that a long time ago, and I, I still haven't played it. Mm. Yeah. I'm a horrible person. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, Cart Life is uh, on a increasingly growing list of mine of indie games that I know I will have to play before the end of the year. Uh, to properly do my games of the year list. Yeah, it's a good one. It's uh, really stylized and it's uh, it's it kind of makes you think. Which Did is, that come is out this year? Uh, it came out on Steam this year. Um, oh, okay. I think it was actually available um, on the the developer's website um, at the end of last year. Um, I could be wrong on that. Yeah, I was uh, wondering if it was still qualified for game of the year of this year. I just I didn't know when it came out. Um, I'm, I'm unfortunately not a hundred percent sure on that one. Uh, I could look it up, but you know, fact checking, that's, that's a horrible thing yeah. to do on a pod check. Who cares if you're <laughs> correct or pod, 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 podcast. I can't, I can't talk. It's 10 o'clock right now. Okay. I'm I tired. I just did a quick search. Uh, I said March 18th, 2013. So oh, there we go. Yes. All right, Sweet. cool. <laughs> But yeah, there's there's that um, Kentucky Route Zero. Um, yeah, I need to play that. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to check that one out either. Uh, I can't remember what else uh, there I is. I only just jumped into Hotline Miami recently, so hmm. which is fantastic. Um, oh, Gunpoint. That's that's the other kind of big one of mine. I really want to play. Things about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I bought it when it came out, but I haven't touched it. It's installed, but nice. Another one of those games I just look at every now and then, like The Witcher. <laughs> you pain me with that, Jeremy. The Witcher is a little more of an investment on your time. Though. Yeah, that, that's why I keep looking. I played an hour of the first one, and I only recently picked up the second one because I kept missing it on Steam sales, and I finally hit it like a couple months ago. And um, just kind of booted it up to see how pretty it looked, but I haven't even like jumped into either one of them yet. Yeah, I, I would definitely... Um... I mean, the, I think the second one's a lot better, and I think I've said this before. Um, pro- we've probably had this exact same conversation <laughs> multiple times. Um, but the The Witcher 2 is amazing and a better game than The Witcher 1, in my opinion. But so much of the world is set up in the first one, not even like plot-wise that you need to know, um, just world-building. Um, and also, there are some... Um, you know, choices that you make that kind of flavor the next game. It's not huge impact um, in terms of what that stuff makes. Um, not, you know, on the scale of something like Mass Effect or, you know, The Walking Dead or something like that. Uh, but it is kind of nice to have, and also you get to, to carry over. Um, yeah. I think you get, like, a, a skill point boost and some extra items. So. Yeah, like you definitely get a weapon or something. I remember hearing about yeah. that. But, uh... Yeah, I'm I'm crazy about playing games in order, so that would happen anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, we're we're not here to talk talk about the Steam sale or The Witcher. Um, <laughs> even though every podcast I'm on turns into a conversation about The Witcher, we're here to talk about. Well, we're not here to talk about you. We're here to talk to you, Andrew. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Excellent. So, you know, if you could start off, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, where you work, uh, what you do, that kind of group. Sure. Yeah, uh, currently I uh, am a programmer at Drinkbox Studios uh, here in Toronto, and uh, we just released uh, Guacamelee, 
uh, in April on mm-hmm. PSN. And um, actually, just a few weeks ago, we released our first DLC patch. It was kind of like a costume pack um, that gives you different skills and things. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, essentially, I went to school for computer science and and jumped right into games right afterwards and uh, haven't looked back since. Good deal. Good deal. Um, so you said you're, you're currently at uh, Drinkbox. Uh, you said you're in Toronto, but how big is the studio? Uh, how long have you guys been around? How long have you been there? That kind of stuff. Right. So the studio is actually quite small. It's only about 13 people. Okay. Uh, I think we have uh, four programmers right now and uh, some production guys and some artists. So it's, it's a really small team, probably about, probably about uh, four producers or three producers, uh, four coders, and the rest artists. Um, Somebody needs and... to update the Wikipedia page because it only says <laughs> 10. Oh, yeah, we're growing. <laughs> we're growing real fast. Um, yeah, so the company formed uh, in 2008. Okay. And I started there a little over a year ago. Gotcha. All right. Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, you're saying that a 13-person studio is small, and it, it, indeed it is. You know, especially when you compare it to something like uh, Ubisoft, where you know you yeah. got like a thousand guys working on a game, <laughs> not just in a studio, but on one game. Um, it's not even in one studio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's it's kind of interesting. Uh, one of the games I've been recently playing, and by the time this comes out, we'll have well, actually, I've already beaten it. Um, but I'll hopefully have a review up for it, is Dark, which is a, a new stealth game. Um, and it's from a really small studio that's being published through Calypso, uh, the Tropico uh, publisher. And they're, they're only like 15 guys. Uh, and they're, they're choosing to go the route of you know, trying to do this fairly large you know, game that, that is hoping, I guess, to compete with AAA games. Um, and you can kind of tell they're biting off a lot more than they can chew. <laughs> oh, kind yeah. of what um, I've heard about that game. Well, I mean, uh, personally, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, as far as production values go, uh, that's that's really where they're struggling. I think the, the vision of the game that they had is is actually really good and um, is more my flavor of stealth, uh, which is you know where you actually have to be stealthy, uh, but that's irrelevant to this topic. Uh, but it's just kind of interesting, you know, it's like 15 people making a, you know, 2D Metroidvania game inspired by, you know, uh, luchadors and the Land of the Dead and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, oh, versus... Every time I hear it out loud, it still sounds so <laughs> ridiculous to me. I remember um, when I first heard about Guacamele, I just, I could not believe that was a game. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty Believe great it. concept. And it's good, too. Oh, it's great. <laughs> I've, I've played almost entirely through Guac. I think I'm, like, sitting kind of at the end. I haven't touched it in a while. But oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah but... I really enjoyed Guacamelee. So. Um, awesome. And for, for those of us that haven't played it, myself included, tell us um, tell us about Guacamelee, um, besides, you know, what I just mentioned. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, like Jeremy was saying, it's a, it's a 2D Metroidvania-style brawler. Uh, where you play a, lo- a Mexican luchador, and essentially you go through the world uh, trying to save El Presidente's daughter, uh, <laughs> who is your love interest, I guess, in the game. Uh, and yeah, it's just the same style of uh, level design puzzles and platforming uh, and combat that you would associate with any sort of Castlevania game. Okay. 
Um, now, it having luchadors in it, do you get to meet Hulk Hogan or anyone uh, else from Saints Row the Third? Uh, <laughs> you don't get to meet any of those guys specifically, but you do meet similar style uh, Mexican wrestler luchadors. All right, that's I, I guess that you know makes a lot more sense, but I can always hope. Um, <laughs> maybe in the next one. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Um, um, several weeks ago, it's actually been quite a while now, I was, uh, talking to some guys from, uh, Australia about their new game, and, uh, they have, uh, the, the name of the spaceship that you're on in that game is, um, uh, the Genki Star, I believe, and I was, oh, I was right. trying to get, you know, Saints Row references there, too, and they were like, no, this, we had this in development before that came out, and, you know, that's actually a, a word that, I don't remember what they said that it means, um, but it, it made me kind of sad. But in my head, basically everything that involves luchadors or Genki or giant cat-headed enemies, it's all Saints Row. But... Well, I'll take your uh, <laughs> suggestion back to the guys and uh, run it by them. All right, yeah, you do that, man. Thanks. <laughs> just, I, I would just a Hulk Hogan downloadable skin. That would be amazing. That would be, that would be fantastic. <laughs> I, I would settle for that. that or Ray Mysterio, even. <laughs> he fits. <laughs> um, so you said that you're, you know, a, a programmer. What what is exactly involved in the the kind of work that you've been doing with uh, Guacamelee? Uh, so recently, because it's such a small studio, I do a lot of things. Um, so. The only thing I haven't really been doing is the rendering, which is like the actual drawing code, the code that draws it on screen. Um, all the other stuff I'll mess around with, including uh, I'll help out with scripting of scenes that go on or uh, gameplay mechanics. Uh, really just a lot of everything because there's really only there's only four of us. Uh, so there's not that many. There's not that much time to specialize in any one area. Okay. Good, good deal. I guess that's just you know kind of how it goes most of the time in a in a smaller studio like that. Um, many people yeah, wear right. many hats. So. Yeah, on bigger. It, when I've worked at bigger studios, I've definitely been more specialized into AI or uh, like more technical things. But at, at Drinkbox, definitely it's sort of yeah. You got to wear all the hats, and and if something comes up, you know you get a new bug every day that's completely out of your wheelhouse that you got to go and figure out. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah, probably really there to help you evolve, too. I mean, kind of yeah. stepping into other areas and learning new stuff. Yeah, it is. It's kind of nice to explore areas you might not be that familiar with, although it might be a little daunting at the start. Uh, it's nice to jump in and learn something new every day. It keeps you on your toes. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so you mentioned working at bigger studios before. So you uh, you started at Silicon Knights, right? Yeah, that's right. Hold on. I'm going to have to say good segue there, Jeremy. You have to point it out every time there's a good segue. That that was good. Bravo. All right. You you can answer now, Andrew. Okay. Yeah, so I I started at Silicon Knights. I I think that was back in around 2006 or so. Um, And I worked there for roughly five years. Uh, While I was there, I worked on Two Human... X-Men Destiny, and a title that never came out called The Ritualist, uh, which was canceled. Uh, and while I was there, I mainly focused on AI, 
but I also did some technical aspects for, for Two Human and for X-Men Destiny. As someone who played X-Men Destiny, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, so yeah I, I, I left kind of in the middle of the development of X-Men Destiny, and I was actually on the Wii version. I was working oh, right. on the technical aspects of the Wii, so uh, getting all the engine up and running on the Wii. Okay. That was I, what I was responsible for. I've never even seen the Wii version. I played it on a PS3, I think. That was one of my Gamefly games. Oh, yeah. Let's just say we were a little limited. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. We, I didn't even remember that came out on the Wii. Holy cow! Yeah, I didn't. I didn't yeah. know it either, honestly. The biggest. But thing I mean, there was a the DS version, so. Yeah, we actually didn't make that one. That was outsourced to another company. Oh, okay. But, but the uh, the Wii is interesting from a design point of view because you don't have the dual analog sticks, mm -hmm. so controlling a third-person yeah. camera becomes really tough. <laughs> Uh, so we had to deal with like a lot of the stuff we were doing was essentially, uh, we'd take what the guys were doing on the Xbox and PS3 version, and then we'd have to take it and change it to fit the Wii, uh, just because of the limited camera stuff mostly. And of course, yeah, the limited the yeah see, I never even had a Wii, so I wouldn't have even been able to see that version. That's the one thing I've been surprised about this generation is making it through the whole time, just ignoring a console entirely. Yeah. But, um, uh, so like working at Silicon Knights, I mean, obviously, you know, they've been in the news more than once. Um, what was it like just like working there, like the atmosphere around and the people and everything? Yeah, uh, I loved it actually. The people there were super talented, everyone was super passionate about making games, and really, uh, there was a lot of good things going on there and it just it just kind of uh kind of fell apart at the end mostly due to uh what kind of happened with the the lawsuit the epic lawsuit but uh overall uh the team members in general are really talented and really make impressive stuff from the artists to the coders to uh, uh the design guys it, it is it was a really enjoyable place to work actually <clears throat> um, just to kind of cut in a little bit, um, were you there when the uh, lawsuit started, Andrew? Yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, so, I was there. I was there probably for a year while we were still using the Unreal Engine. Okay. Um. So I mean, you know, a lot of that has been kind of muddy and n not really intelligible about why all of that kind of stuff happened. Uh, I know, you know, uh, Silicon Knights said that, um, you know, the the there was the engine was crappy, basically, or, or this is at least the story that I've understood through how people have reported it. Basically, Unreal Engine is crappy. If we had had a better engine, if you had supported it better, um, we would have been able to make a better game. Uh, is that a good summation of it, or can you kind of go into a little bit about why the the company took up that lawsuit, if you know? Yeah, uh, I don't want to get into it too much because uh, I'm not a lawyer. Sure, uh, sure. So I don't know the exact wording to use, but I know there was a few points that Silicon Knights uh, felt Epic was like in breach of mm -hmm. for their con the contract that they had. Okay. It wasn't it wasn't just as cut as dry as cut and dry as their engine was crappy because the Unreal Engine is not crappy; it's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
I mean, so, from my understanding, Epic kind of took the standpoint of, like, we sold you something that wasn't finished, and we're not held responsible for how it reacts because of that. Yeah, I don't know if that's totally the case either, but it definitely is... It's a tough thing to talk about, especially since it was such a long lawsuit also. Sure. Um, but it, it definitely was not uh, black and white. There was definitely shades of gray in there, and... and um, I haven't read all the legal documents, so I don't even really know what happened. <laughs> At Silicon Knights, as it was going on, essentially, Dennis and all the guys in, in kind of in charge of the lawsuit really tried to keep everyone else out of it. So he didn't want anyone to have the burden of having to deal with it. So really, it was only like the top, maybe two or three percent of the company that actually did anything related to the lawsuit. Okay. Um, can I just sidebar here from the lawsuit stuff? Just ask uh, what it was like working with Dennis, because he just—I mean, obviously we he, we've heard all the stuff, we've heard the podcast, we've read the articles, but I, he just sounds like somebody who's very passionate about what he does or what he wants to do. Oh yeah, that's the perfect description, actually. Uh, I didn't work sort of like with Dennis too much. He was more on the creative side, and I'm more technical. Um, but yeah. Yeah, the guy's super passionate about what he does, and and uh, despite like the recent track record with X Men Destiny and stuff, um, he's he's like a really talented designer, and he's really creative. So, I mean, he's got a, a bad rap kind of in the industry right now, um, but he does like he does have a talent and a really creative mind, and. Uh, I know he's at Precursor right now, and I know all those guys at Precursor, and and I I really hope that their Kickstarter you know succeeds and and they do well over there. Yeah, because they just recently announced that they're uh, restarting the uh, Kickstarter uh, pretty soon. Yeah, I think I saw that actually, like just before we started on this call. So, uh, yeah, that should be interesting. Hopefully, they they get a lot of support. Sounds like they're coming up with a lot of good ideas. So. Yeah, Dennis Dyack definitely sounds like an ideas guy. Um, we, I mean, we've interviewed uh, somebody that uh, I guess a mutual acquaintance of ours, uh, Ryan Vandenick from you know the head of Eden Industries, who also worked at Silicon Knights, and would kind of yep. talk about um, Dennis coming in and just constantly having new ideas all the time and stuff like that. Yeah, he gets inspiration from everywhere. I know. I know he, you know, watches a lot of movies and consumes a lot of media, and he's always kind of using that as inspiration for whatever we're working on. Yeah, I, I, I would love to see uh, Dennis Dyack and Peter Molyneux just sit there and <laughs> try to design a game together and see how that <laughs> goes. Yeah, I don't uh, know. I think that might be like oil and water. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, if I could, if I could throw uh, Will Wright and Warren Spector into that too, <laughs> like little Sid Meier sprinkles. <laughs> yeah, sure. Except all of Sid Meier's the, the games that he's been attached to recently have actually been really good. So um, I, I would kind of like to just see what game they would come up with. Not see it ever made because it would be too big to ever make. But yeah. just. Have just them to a podcast of those guys just spitballing <laughs> ideas back and forth. Yeah, you just want to see the design document. Yes, yes. Oh, I would buy that on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, so what was it? Uh, how long were you at Silicon Knights? I was there for five years. So I worked. Uh, I worked on Two Human for about a year, and then I worked on X Men Destiny uh, for about another 
uh, nine months to a year, and then the rest of the time was spent on the Ritualist pro project. Okay, and um, just for a frame of reference, I mean, I know Two Human has kind of a troubled uh, development cycle, but how long was the version that came out in development for? Uh, I think that one was in development for uh, three or four years. I'm not sure. It was actually in full swing development when I started at Silicon Knights. So I don't know exactly how long before I, I started. I actually started on the Ritualist and then was pulled over to Two Human uh, when they were trying to ship it out. So um, it it was it was definitely in development for at least two years while I was there, and then uh, probably probably at least a year or two uh, before I was there. Interesting. Yeah, um, Two Human was one of those games. I still have not played it. I own a copy of it. I bought one for like six dollars not too long ago at a GameStop. Oh yeah. And um, actually, because of this podcast now, I, I'm probably gonna put that in tonight because you know I've interviewed two people now who have worked on that game. I feel like I should put some time into it. Well, let me tell you, uh, I actually really enjoy the game. I may be biased, but I think um, it's a little misunderstood. I think we did a poor job in general of explaining how the right stick combat works. Okay, so, yes. If you could explain how that works, because I <laughs> sure. played that game for you know, okay. 10 hours or whatever, pushing forward on the right thumbstick, and I got so, bored as all hell. For me, <laughs> for me, this will not be the first game I've played with this kind of combat, so maybe that'll help me a little bit. Because um, I think, I never played this game, but uh, the Blade 2 game on PS2, I think, had that same idea, and uh, the Jet Li PS2 game was uh, right stick combat as well. Okay, I haven't played either of those, uh, so I don't really have a good frame of reference. But uh, like the one thing I saw when I showed this to a lot of my buddies was everyone immediately, you say the combat's on the right stick, and everyone starts kind of like mashing the right stick, mm -hmm. um, which is not really the right thing to do. You really just want to, you're really just directing your attacks. Mm -hmm. So you actually do want to just keep the right stick directed in the direction of the enemies. And um, so that's pretty basic. You really don't need to do anything else. And then you do the tapping when it comes into doing your uh, juggle attacks, which is what I think was mainly talked about, where you throw a guy into the air and then jump up and attack him up there. Mm -hmm. And also when you do something called a fierce attack, which is where you hit uh, the left stick and right stick together, and it does this sort of almost like a finishing move kind of thing. It's more like a long-distance attack. Uh, I, I and I don't know if that was... <laughs> yeah, I, that's what I mean. I don't think that was ever really explained too well in the introduction. So um, I find if people try to mash the right stick, it really throws them off and they don't really get it. Whereas if you just kind of accept it that it's it's essentially on autopilot for you, you don't really – it's not like a pure action where you're mashing buttons. It kind of takes the mashing out of it, mm -hmm. and you're really just telling it what direction to attack in. So, I don't know, hopefully that helps you play the game a little better and maybe enjoy it, so. Yeah, and there yeah. was also a problem that I had, and it's just how I play RPGs. I like to have as, I, I want to have as many items in my inventory, but as few, um, you know, like, pieces of equipment. Um, yep. And since the game uses degradation, I would get to the point where my weapon was completely broken and was doing, like, 3% damage. Um, and I'd sold everything because right. that, that's what I do. And so I'm, I'm fighting this boss and I'm just holding on to the right thumbstick. 
attack, like get ten points of damage done, and then I die. And then you watch the cutscene where you the Valkyrie comes down, then you respawn, and then <laughs> run yep. forward, attack, die, and that's that's the way most of my boss battles went. I've heard a lot about the Valkyrie. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a long cutscene. Yeah, yeah, that was that was probably not the best decision either to make it so slow, but um, it it was for artistic reasons. Oh yeah, the the first time or even the first <laughs> probably twenty times, it was like, man, that is really cool, and I think it was you know the the time where you know I had to watch it like three times in a row in the span of a couple of minutes. That I was just like, okay, this. I, I need to skip this and something needs to happen. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah. There was a game I played recently. I really can't remember what it is. And this is going to bug me now, but the first time there's something that happened, I think it's your death animation, but the first time you do it, it's like really long and really animated and you can't skip it. And then every time it happens afterwards, you're able to just skip through it. And I, I can't remember what game it was that did that. That's really going to drive me crazy now. It's not ringing a bell for me. Sorry. Yeah, I don't. Maybe it'll hit me later and I'll figure it out. But I'm not even sure if it was the death animation. There was just something you did a lot in that game. And the first time it was something you had to experience. And then later you could kind of skip through it if you wanted. That's always a nice thing that, um, you know, when games do it, that allow you to skip cutscenes. Um, I, I never skipped cutscenes the first time through. No. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't even know if they had it set up that you can't skip it the first time and then they let you skip it the second time if you need to. Um, but that, that's always a good thing because there's nothing more frustrating than a, you know, boss battle or a jump or something where you're just dying immediately and then have to restart and watch the cutscene and you can't skip. Sk yeah. Skinning animals in Red Dead Redemption is maybe mm. the worst. Yeah. Or and that was, that was also one of the creepiest parts of that game. <laughs> it was pretty graphic <laughs> well no just I'm talking about the things that uh, John Marston says like when he's oh. skinning those animals he'll, he enjoys it way too much <laughs> sometimes he apologizes yeah the sound design might be a little too good in that also yeah and the blood oh, yeah. on the screen <laughs> uh, yeah that that's that pretty juicy sound yeah <laughs> um anyway <laughs> <laughs> So Two Human. Um, w one thing that was interesting about Two Human was that it was announced as a trilogy. I mean, which we kind of see a lot now. Um, yep. But like, what was it like working on a game? Or I mean, I guess coming into it, into the development at a later time, maybe this didn't matter as much to you. But working on a game that was expected to lead into something else. Um, well, uh, yeah, like... I didn't experience it too much, but I imagine there was quite a bit of pressure. Um which is probably why, you know, it took so long to get out is that we want We really wanted to try to make it as good as possible. Right. You're not, you're, your goal yeah. is never to make a, a subpar game, but, uh, yeah, th at the time it really just felt like we were focusing on getting the first one out the door. I think there were sort of rough plans for two and three, uh, floating around at the company, but no one was really focusing on the, the, the whole trilogy at one time. Uh, the, like the only thing I remember about two human, like that was a game I always saw the magazine advertisement for, which was like the main character standing amongst the bodies. And mm -hmm. it was like s the time of how long it took him to kill each one. And like, 
that was my introduction to that game, and then I knew nothing about it until like two years ago. Oh yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, that game. And for me, it's just it always I always thought it looked cool. Like I, I like the look of the character and stuff like that. And you know, he's got the blue lines on his face. Thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I didn't like I didn't know along for a long time that it was announced as a trilogy, and I mean that was a game that was actually announced a long time ago and went through different iterations. So, yeah, the the art design was definitely one of my favorite things about that game. It it looked cool. I I can say the most I've seen is the main menu, and I liked that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, like I said before, Silicon Knights had a ton of really talented artists, and I think it shows. I think the first level is probably my favorite. Uh, just that kind of like opening sequence when you're walking through the, the, the hallways with the snow kind of coming through the windows. I, mm-hmm. I really like that even still. And, uh, you know, I, I know the guys put a lot of work into making that look cool and, and, uh, I think it shows. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I will find out. I am <laughs> Excellent. Um, but yeah, so after Two Human came X Men. Uh, so you said you left in the middle of that. Yeah, I left in the middle of X Men Destiny. Uh, yeah, so seems, seems to be the popular decision when that game was being developed. So um, I think, didn't uh, Ryan say he left in the middle of it too? Yeah, uh, yeah. he did. Yes, he did. <laughs> I think I think quite a few people left in the middle of that one. Yeah, um, like I I was. X-Men Destiny was one of those games that I stumbled across just like digging into the deep crevices of the internet. And it was like a simple, it was years before or a year at least before it even was announced. Um, It was like a one sentence description of you, you basically create your own X-Men and I'm like, that sounds awesome. And I was super excited up until reviews came out basically. Yeah. I mean, I I still took a shot uh... at it. I still played it. Yeah. Well, you're better than me. I haven't beaten it yet. So. <laughs> um, to defend it, though, it's not totally uh, all the project that caused people to leave. One of the big factors was that uh, Ubisoft Toronto had just opened up, and mm. uh, they had a lot more money than Silicon Knights did. Let's just say that. So <laughs> people, really? people like money. Yeah. I didn't know. <laughs> I, I had no idea. <laughs> So they were basically just farming out the talent, basically. Yeah, they were just skimming off the top of Silicon Knights, basically. So <laughs> a lot of a lot of people I know from Silicon Knights now are at Ubisoft Toronto. Um, yeah, I mean, that's understandable, but uh, it's it's a sh- it's a real shame X Men turned out to be what it was. I was legitimately looking forward to that. Um. Yeah, I, I I never finished it. I played a a decent chunk of it just because I'm the type of person I don't really like even if a review like it has to be getting just one star reviews everywhere. But I'm the type of person I played like I've said this a bunch of times. I've platinum trophy for Tron Evolution. I have no problem playing bad to mediocre games. But um, yeah, X Men Destiny I just had trouble staying with. But it just, yeah, it's fair enough. Yeah, from from what I heard, it just kind of people leaving and time crunches and probably the lawsuit had just a lot of things interfering with the development. Yeah, there really was. It wasn't a smooth a smooth uh, development process, that's for sure. Yeah. And I think something that Ryan had said also was um 
within Silicon Knights that uh, there was a lot of times where a lot of people didn't even know what other people were working on or didn't even know they were working on the same game. That just communication basically inside the offices was not the best. Uh, yeah, I was kind of lucky because the Wii team actually was really small. We the, the Wii team was basically completely separate from the other team, and I think at peak our team was maybe 15 people, and it was <clears throat> we had a really good manager. So I mean, we'd get into groups like the whole team would sit in a circle and discuss ideas. So our team actually worked really well together to solve the problems we were faced with on the Wii. So I didn't personally experience that much, but I have heard that from other people. And it could just be um, a product of so many people leaving and, you know, just not communicating properly as people are leaving, right? If you constantly getting a new boss every six months or a year, uh, it, it might be hard to keep the same style of style going. So yeah, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure that contributed. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and... I've, I've seen that in my regular everyday jobs, so that's understandable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ryan also mentioned some some issues with um, Activision and uh, actually getting uh, kind of the support from them that you guys were requesting. Um, uh, I, I think he said that at one point uh, they didn't want to pay you like what they originally planned or, or something like that. Uh, uh, I don't know anything about that specifically, but I know whenever you're working with any sort of licensed game, mm -hmm. there's always a lot more back and forth that needs to occur, especially mm -hmm. on a franchise like X-Men, which is enormous. Yeah. So mm -hmm. they need to approve everything you do. I mean, we would send constant updates. They would critique. I know they would critique the art really, really they they they'd really go after it and make us change little small things just because they were so picky about it. Sure. And, and rightfully so. I mean, they don't want us to mess it up. So yeah, and, which we, I, and we don't want to mess it up either. Yeah, which I'd say uh, the like the character design and all that stuff in that game was fine. You know, I'm not yeah. like a huge X Men fan, but I I knew who everyone was and I thought they all looked good. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, people, you know, there's how many years of comic books that people can just go look at pictures of these characters. And, yeah, I can imagine them being pretty picky about that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And the problem with X-Men uh, is that you have a lot of people that know who the X-Men are. So mm -hmm. you have a lot of different expectations to meet when that game comes out. Sure. So although the game wasn't that great uh, gameplay-wise, still you had a lot of other expectations that probably you were never, never going to meet. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, you've got that guy that, you know, all he ever watched was the, the eighties cartoon. And then he saw maybe one of the movies, he sees it, you know, on sale at Walmart or whatever. And it's like, Hey, I, I remember that card. I, I remember that cartoon. I remember Wolverine. I should play this. And if it doesn't line up to what he remembers from the cartoon, then, you know, he's going to be disappointed while some random guy, you know, that, you know, has been reading the comic books for 30 years. You know, you get one small detail wrong, and he starts raising Kane. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> yeah. But I mean, especially with X-Men, there's so many different versions oh, yeah. of those characters. Mm -hmm. like, Absolutely. I, personally, I like, uh, like Spider-Man, but I like Ultimate Spider-Man more than I like Amazing Spider-Man or anything like that, so... You know, it all it all just depends on which version you're going with and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I found um, I found that also when I worked at another company called Bedlam. We did a, a Dungeons and Dragons game, and it was the same sort of deal. Oh yeah. Just, Wizards of the Coast is so particular about uh, everything you do, so mm-hmm. you're you're constantly under the microscope. Uh, working for those guys too. Yeah. Um, speaking of Bedlam, I'd we'd I'd like to get back to that, but before leaving Silicon Knights behind. Oh, um, I thought that was a great segue though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it was it, it, it was a great segue. I'll give you that, but I didn't want to skip over this. But um, you, uh, I wondered if we could talk about the Ritualist because you said you'd worked on that, and just sure. kind of, kind of yeah. like what that is or was supposed to be. Because I've, I've never was. even heard of it before. Yeah, so I know it was announced. I don't know. I actually don't know how much was announced, um, but it was essentially going to be sort of like a survival horror uh, open world game. Hmm. And the focus was on it actually looking looking at a current game. It there was elements of it similar to Dishonored how you were able to like take possession of people and you had diff- different powers. Okay. Um, but it wasn't like combat like that. It was like a third person combat game. Uh, and then, so yeah, I mean, that was basically it. They had powers like dishonored and, and in order to unlock those powers, you did rituals, which is where the name came from. And, and in order to do oh, okay. rituals, you had to collect certain items and go in different places and do these rituals. And, and sort of the overarching story was that, um, I mean, you probably heard Dennis say, uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, which is yeah. one of the quotes he used often. And that was sort of like the mantra for the game. So essentially, the main character would, the whole idea was, as you use the powers, the world degrades around you. So um, you'd actually, if you use the powers too much, we had the world dynamically changing so it went from this light, sunny kind of world, and then it would degrade the more you use the powers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was pretty neat to work on, but it just couldn't come together um, into the dream we had, essentially. Yeah, that, Man, that you're bumming really me out. Neat, that sounds though. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, looking at this thing I'm seeing, it looks like it said they were originally, it was called Silent Hill the Box, and then changed uh, to the box, and then the Ritualist. No, it wasn't. It was never, as far as I know, it was never Silent Hill the Box. It was called The Box at one time. Um, but then, I don't know if you guys remember, but a game called Pandora's Box came out um, right around the time we were developing it, and we thought it would be confusing. Um, so then they changed see. the name. I, I remember, um, are you talking about Legendary? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Legendary Pandora's Box or something. Yeah, the, the first-person shooter with griffins and, and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Played that game demo, came but... out, and and uh, they thought it might be confusing for people. Sure, sure. Well, it's okay. Nobody played it, so. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. Never really came up in the end. I played the demo, and I was just like, ah, no thanks. <laughs> yeah. But uh, back to your awesome segue of Bedlam. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, you worked on Dungeons & Dragons over there? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, a, a game called Daggerdale. It's on the Xbox Live Arcade and PSN. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I It didn't review very well, uh, but it's a neat little action title. I think it's $10 or $15. Um, 
Bedlam is a studio probably no one's heard of. It was a tiny little place in Toronto. And um, I think at peak we had 60 people working on two or three projects. Uh, and they, the other game I worked on, which I, I mainly did, I was the AI lead on a game called Gamma World, which is another sort of Dungeons & Dragons spinoff. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Gamma World. Um, it's sort of like a post-apocalyptic sort of post-apocalyptic um, Dungeons & Dragons setting. and okay. um, That sounds more that, interesting to me, actually. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, actually, that was built in Unreal also, and it was a uh, like a third-person shooter. Mm. Okay. And, yeah, that game was actually uh, close to done, and then actually Bedlam closed down because uh, Atari decided to cancel all the projects we were working on. So I think ah. we had two projects with Atari. And they canceled both of them, so uh, Gamma World was the other one, and uh, the other one was not announced. But uh, so I can't talk about that. <laughs> that's terrible. Both that you can't talk about it, and that it got closed down. But that's yeah, ah, yeah. man, that's that's rough. I have yeah, kind I of a. I'm oh, sorry, God. Oh, I was just gonna say that that was a really fun place to work, actually. Too, it's amazing uh, bouncing around studios. The one thing that's consistent is is there's so many talented people around. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's just, it, it's really just a management problem to make a good game. And and really just, if you don't manage the team properly, it, budgets can just spiral out of control. And, and I think that's why you see bad games really is that um, just it, the production team doesn't keep guys in check and, you know, bad decisions are made and uh, eventually people like atari say that's enough money get the game out or it's canceled kind of thing so yeah, sure like I don't, I don't think anybody sets out to make a bad game at all you know no the... definitely not no i mean and i would hope not because that'd be a terrible thing to do <laughs> but I mean, uh it's game blocks but i don't know uh no man i mean i, I think even those guys are they're, they're trying to make something good you know um that they can be proud of if nothing else yeah <clears throat> uh, to, to me, they're just the asylum of video games. So. <laughs> sure. I, I've enjoyed some game loft games. I don't really want to say anything. I know a few guys there. Yeah, hey, I mean, I've, I've got the uh, the racing game that they have on mobile platforms. Um, I can't even remember what it's called. Um, I've I've enjoyed quite a... I think they've been doing much better. They did the, uh, the Iron Man 3 game. I mm -hmm. got really addicted to that for no good reason. Because it's just kind of an infinite runner game, and that was actually a lot of fun. But um, they, yeah, I mean, it's I, I feel like they're doing more now than before. But uh, Asphalt is the yes. racing game I was thinking of, and I mean, it's you know, it, it's not Forza or Need for Speed quality or something like that. But I mean, no. when you're sitting and you have you know three minutes of time to you know race, it it looks good, it, it plays well. And, it's yeah. got nitrous, which is always needed in racing games. Of course. <laughs> I know a bunch of people at Gameloft too. There's actually a Gameloft Toronto studio also. <laughs> so Toronto, Toronto is just a happening place then, isn't it's it? It's growing, yeah. The awesome. game industry is really growing here, so it's uh, it's a it's an exciting time to be working in Toronto. Yeah, that's that's good. That's Can't awesome. Wait to play Canadian games. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've I've never played a Dungeons and Dragons game. I heard some of those are actually really good. So I've played one, Demon Stone, 
which was barely a Dungeons and Dragons game because it was an action <laughs> game uh, made by the studio that made the um, Lord of the Rings game for uh, the Two Towers. Uh, so it was basically that, like that in Dungeons and Dragons skin. Uh, so it didn't have dice rolls. It didn't have like any of the rules of Dungeons and Dragons. Just some of the lore. Um, and the story was co-written by uh, uh, R.A. Salvatore. So he he's a popular writer. He is. He is. Yes. Who I've I've never read. Oh wait, that's not true. I read I read one of his. I think he did a Star Wars book, and I read that. He probably has. He's written like a billion books. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Did you guys play uh, Kingdoms of Amalur? I think he wrote that game, too. Um, uh, I played a little bit of it. I, yeah, I really I... like to put more time in that, but my life doesn't allow me to have time. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, sunk, I... I sunk way too much time into that game. I yeah. loved it. I really enjoyed what I played. I played kind of the opening little bit, uh, mm-hmm. like where you create your character and go through all the powers and stuff, or the classes or whatever, and then kind of roamed a little bit in the world, and that was kind of as far as I was able to get. But I that's one I really want to get back to. Like I always look at it. I'm kind of waiting for a Steam sale for it. But um, because I'd like um, to play PC. You're well. I mean, it's, you're never actually going to see it on Steam. I don't think it's on Steam. It was on. It was like five bucks on Origin the other day. I thought it was still on Steam. I'm not uh, sure. I don't know. It's EA. It's an EA published game, so yeah, it's probably only right. on Origin. I thought that it had been put on before they like pulled everything off, but I wasn't sure. Uh, it it is on there actually. Um, oh, okay. But um, but like I said, I mean, you can. Um, I actually repicked it up the other day, uh, because I I thought it was okay, and uh, it was actually the the backstory. Um, is actually what uh Salvatore wrote. He didn't actually write the uh the game's plot. Uh, mm-hmm. he basically wrote everything that happened before the game's plot, uh, which. It's a to me. I thought it was a really interesting world. I just didn't care about anything that actually happened. If that makes sense. <laughs> that makes total sense. Actually, I think I skipped every uh, dialogue box. Oh yeah, along. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, it's hard to sit there because, like, when you do a big fantasy game like that, you want to sit there and get into the world. But like, yeah, it's kind of what's stopping me from jumping into The Witchers because it's like I want all the time to absorb that information. And yeah, but the 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 way that the dialogue in The Witcher is written, I think, is. It's both more verbose. Verbose. That's not a word. <laughs> verbose. Um, I swear I haven't been drinking. Um, but it's more verbose, but it's also more concise. Um, so they're kind of saying more with less. Uh, yeah. Whereas a lot of times in um, reckoning, you know, somebody's talking and they're talking and they're really only telling you to go get ten like wolf pelts. Um, but they're just, they've got this whole long backstory that they need to tell you and it's just, they're not actually saying anything. Hmm. Sounds like a typical JRPG. <laughs> yeah. Or uh-huh. I, I think it's, uh, cause the game was actually originally an MMO and I think that's really apparent in like the, the quest, uh, structure and the way people talk and stuff like that. Uh, as far as the mechanics go, I think if it had been a, um, a more linear, just kind of like action game uh it would have been a lot better because by the time i sunk 20 hours into it i was just really tired of everything in the game and if you want to do side quests and stuff like that that game takes like 60 hours (laughs) i think i actually played like 80 and i didn't get everything oh wow well i it's huge yeah i i did most of the stuff except for the um the guild quests or they're not actually guilds 
um, but the different houses. Uh, I didn't do any of that stuff, uh, except for the uh, the first house that you come across, the uh, the Fay or the uh, I think it was the Summer Court. Um, it's the the one that's located in like the first region where you start. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting, and, and personally, I thought that was the most interesting part of the game. And I don't know why we're talking about a game from a year ago, but whatever. Uh. <laughs> well, the one thing I thought they did, the one thing I thought that game did really well was, I don't know if you guys are big into collectibles, but uh, in the I'm, level design... I'm a sucker for it. Yeah, so in the level design, they did a really good job of putting all these little like nooks and crannies mm-hmm. to the side that contain these collectibles. And actually, if you ran through the game and only picked up the ones you saw um what would happen is you'd actually get to the end of the dungeon and then as you're backtracking out of the dungeon you'd see collectibles all the way back as well so Mm -hmm. it kept you interested the whole way through that backtracking which is normally the big slog that you don't want to do Mm-hmm. Oh, so like when you're and, going one way, you don't see them because they're tucked away, but you're at a different angle the other time, so you can see them now, basically. Exactly, yeah. But okay. if you, I mean, if you search around fully, you're gonna find them all your first time through. But I found if you just kind of like run out, run through, and then run back, you'd get them all, and you wouldn't be bored on the way mm-hmm. back. Which I find many games don't try, don't take the time to actually try to do that. Yeah, I like that because I, you know, things like I just played The Last of Us, and as much as I explored every nook and cranny of every corner of those rooms, there's still so many collectibles I missed. And it's just like, how do I miss that stuff? Like, I searched everywhere in every area, and apparently I still miss stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not a big fan of collectibles, um, unless they seem manageable to me. Um, cause, Tomb like, Raider is my worst nightmare. I didn't even try on that. Like the uh, the last set of collectibles that I actually tried to get were the uh, little shrines in Sleeping Dogs. Like I didn't go for yeah. anything else in that entire. Those are those are easy. You'll stumble across all of those. Yeah, and there, there's there's ten of them. I felt like I accomplished something and I was satisfied. But you know when you have like four hundred Riddler questions to to go through like that. There's no, I'm not even trying. Just I, I collected <laughs> 700 comic book covers in Amazing Spider-Man. So You're insane. I, oh I, I want. <laughs> in all fairness, after you collect uh, like three or four hundred, they start putting them on your map, and it was. I wanted the platinum trophy, so it was just a matter of going around and just. And like Spider-Man, what? I just kind of throw in and swing around anyway. So I'm like, well, I'm swinging around. I might as well collect stuff. Once you collect like three or four hundred. <laughs> It's a lot easier than it sounds. <laughs> They're everywhere. It's like you step two feet and you run into one. Oh man! And you cut. You can target them with because I had like the web rush mode, so you could just target them and zip to them. <laughs> I, I'm an insane person. I you would are. Not recommend it. You are. You That's know what else is many. insane? Skylanders. Boom. Uh, <laughs> <insanely> awesome. <laughs> that was a great segue, John. I know, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> You mean that thing that rips off Disney Infinity? Uh, hey, now. Disney Infinity <laughs> rips off Skylanders. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I yeah, almost saw so, Skylanders recently. So I guess I might as well just jump right into that, eh? Jump right into Skylanders. <laughs> uh, hey, so, I, yeah, I worked on uh, two mobile titles, actually. I was, I was still working at Drinkbox, but I was subcontracted out to... Um, a, like Activision and specifically Vicarious Visions mm-hmm. in Albany, New York, and I, I while I, there I, oh, go ahead. I, did, I just I, I didn't realize Vicarious Visions was still around. 
Yeah, yeah, they're they're owned. I think they're owned by Activision now. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I, I figured that they were because I remember seeing their logo on like every game back at the beginning of you know two thousand, and they were just doing so much stuff. And then I I don't know when the last time I saw. Their... Well, they're doing a lot of mobile stuff now. Okay. They're doing all iOS and Android and stuff. So, uh, yeah, that's what I I, were, I was contracted to work on. Uh, Skylanders, Cloud Patrol, and Lost Islands, which are both on iOS right now. I think they might be on Android now as well. Uh, I didn't even know there were mobile Skylander games. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're uh, they they are, and and I think Lost Islands is pretty in depth too. Um, I actually didn't work on the actual gameplay. I worked on sort of the mobile back end, all the the network connection stuff. So. It wasn't very glamorous, but uh, <laughs> it was something I hadn't really done before. So it was it was fun, and it was it was fun uh, working with all the guys in New York and stuff. So or in Albany. And Lost Islands is free. Yeah, I think uh, I think they're both free every once in a while. Cloud Patrol uh, is currently a dollar ninety nine on my iPhone. Yeah, so if you if you like look around you might be able to get them for free sometime throughout the the month the months but uh yeah they're both lost islands is more of the um buy stuff in game type of thing and cloud mm -hmm. patrol also has those microtransactions as well but yeah they're not as uh prevalent okay they're both they're just kind of like uh they're aimed for I wouldn't say kids, but, you know, they're kind of everyone. E for everyone kind of games. Skylanders is fun, guys. That's right. Why is that not a TV show yet? Oh, I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> I did For a long time, I did not even know Skylanders was Spyro. It is? I didn't even know that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, like, the main character of the game is Spyro. It's, like, essentially a Spyro the Dragon game that features all these other characters. Huh. I did not know, like, it was out for a while, and I guess a good thing I'm not the only one, until I actually paid attention to the title of the first game as Spyro's Adventure. Yeah, I, I think they more use Spyro to kind of help launch the franchise. I, I think more, you know, the Spyro is now a Skylanders character, less than Skylanders is a um, yeah. Spyro game. That's pretty much what it became. But I don't even think they have Spyro like toys because I think he's just the character you get when you start the game. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you can get. Um, I remember listening to some of the episodes of the Bombcast back when Jeff was obsessed with <laughs> Skylanders and he was like getting the legendary version of of Spyro and stuff. I yeah. I don't know. I all that stuff went way over my head because I've never played those games and I have um, no desire to. Yeah, at our Target, there was a clearance of uh, the first game for like 34 bucks for PS3 and Xbox, or, or Xbox, and I've been staring at it for weeks, just kind of thinking about buying it, but I'm not sure I wanted to jump down that hole. <laughs> and, and it's like the set that comes with the portal and two characters, or three characters, or whatever, for like 34 bucks. I'm like, that's kind of worth it, but I just, I don't have room for that stuff, and I, I don't want to start like spending a bunch of money on its action figures. I didn't actually realize how many action figures there were when I when I started working on that project. I didn't actually know too much about Skylanders, mm -hmm. and then I went into a local uh, GameStop and just kind of asked like how much the toys were, and they're they're pretty expensive. And there's they're like eight a lot bucks of a piece. Them. 
Yeah, and there's a lot the, of them too. Yeah, I think the first game from what I was saying had 32, and now they got the Giants, and now there's going to be the SWAT Force. Which yeah. SWAT Force sounds Jeez. cool, so I might check that out. Because in that one you can mix and match characters for different abilities, so. Sounds like an 80s cartoon. What is it, Voltron <laughs> or? Yeah, pretty much. You know, maybe that's what they should do with Power Rangers. Bring that back and just do it with, like, the toys. Yeah. Or what was that, uh, what was that shark cartoon in the oh, late 80s? Um, early 90s Street Sharks or? A uh, friend of mine literally just sent oh, me a what DVD was that? picture. Uh, ugh, shark something. Oh, my God. Like, literally a week ago, a friend of mine sent me a picture. He found the DVD at Walmart, the entire series, for, like, five bucks. Street Sharks. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the coolest toys. Yeah, that, that should definitely come back as part of Skylanders. Uh, reminds me of... Um, anyway. That, <laughs> reminds me of Biker Mice from Mars. <laughs> uh, fun 80s cartoons. Oh, yeah. 80s were the best cartoons, except for the um, Batman the Animated Series, uh, because that was 90s. 90s so, yes. uh, anyway, we're going so <laughs> off the wall on this podcast. I, I usually try to keep this, you know. Jeremy, Jeremy, you're being beckoned. I, yeah. I, I know. <laughs> Popular. Sorry, that was my my niece poking in the room. Um. All right. Well, I, I guess we should move on to uh, to Eden now. Uh, sure. Yeah. You know, you're you're doing some part time work there. Um, yeah. Yeah. We we've talked to to Ryan uh, pretty in depthly about what Eden Industries is and kind of what his vision is. But I, if you could, I believe he's our only podcast uh, guest that's been on twice. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So far. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we uh, we interviewed him about the Silicon Knights thing, and then we talked to him about uh, uh, Citizens of Earth. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so, well, Citizens of Earth is what we're working on right now. Um, actually, Waveform, uh, the other game we did, is on sale for on Steam right now for uh, half off. So everyone should go check it out. It's a fun game. It was nominated for uh, a bunch of Canadian video game awards, actually, up against, like, Far Cry 3 and all these other crazy AAA titles. So people should check it out. It's got a really good Metacritic. I'm not just lying. <laughs> <laughs> our, our review is on the Steam page. Oh, yeah? Awesome. Yeah. That's cool. I, I hadn't even noticed that. Yeah, I actually, um, uh, last time we talked to Ryan, uh, it was right before the last Steam sale, and I had played the demo of it to kind of prepare for the um, interview, and uh, I was like, you know what? Yeah, I think I'm going to go ahead and buy this. It's it pretty cool. And I buy it that night, and then literally the next day, it is on sale, like 75% <laughs> off. And so I just I, I tweeted him a message. I'm like, I really hope you made more money. <laughs> all of that purchase than you would have otherwise. Well, you can go buy a cookie at Tim Hortons or something now. Uh, yeah, so actually, Ryan and I met at Silicon Knights when we were working there. Um, I had been there for a few years, and then Ryan joined the team. Mm-hmm. And uh, we kind of like started a friendship up right away and talking about games, and we were both interested in sort of like doing stuff on the side. But at that time, uh, you can't due to our contracts you can't really do anything on the side uh at many studios that's pretty common where they have the they basically own everything you do 24 7 7 days a week so um 
we we talked about it, but nothing really came of it. And then when Ryan went back out to Vancouver, he started working at Next Level Games and started Eden Industries on the side. Uh, and when I left, when I was at Bedlam and got laid off, I started full time uh, working with Ryan on the tech for. Uh, well, what turns out to be Citizens of Earth, but we were actually working on a different demo before that uh, of more of like a fantasy RPG. Um, and yeah, we just have stayed in touch and we talk all the time on uh, on Skype and stuff. And and um, yeah, we work really well together. We, we're a good balance. We're both we're the only two coders on the team. So he does more of the gameplay and design stuff. So, uh, so like on Citizens of Earth, he's balancing all the enemies and uh, the battles and coming up with all the attacks and stuff. And I do more of the technical stuff. So um, uh, stuff like you know audio and, and file loading and managing game objects and all the, the really flashy stuff that everyone cares about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it all looks great on that game. I, I, I played... He gave us the uh, the demo. I think that was at GDC? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm really enjoying what I've seen of that game so far. Yeah, him and I went down to GDC this year, and it was it was a lot of fun. We showed the game off to a lot of people, and, and the response was really good. So we actually have a new demo coming out soon. Uh, we'll make sure you guys get a copy. Uh, we're just sort of putting the finishing touches on it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's a huge upgrade from that GDC demo you guys got. So cool. uh, hopefully you guys like it. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I like what yeah, I've seen and, so uh, far. So. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I guess I'll plug it now. We have a Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash citizens of Earth game. Or if you just Google citizens of Earth, uh, it should come up in one of the first few yeah, and, and all that stuff, I'll, I'll put that all in the show notes as well. So awesome. people can just click on it from there. Uh, cool. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky because at Drinkbox now, they encourage you to work on side projects as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, have a really, they have a really big focus on the work-life balance. So they really focus on making sure you only work like 40 hours a week. And then hmm. whatever you want to do in your spare time, that's really up to you and actually they see it as as a good thing that you work on side projects because it shows you're passionate and it shows that you want to try to improve yourself outside of work hours so uh from their standpoint actually i'm just getting better even when they're not paying me sure which makes which makes sense to me um so uh I'm, i'm lucky to work there not many companies let you do that that sounds like a really great philosophy for a small developed company oh totally yeah yeah, I love it. it. And I mean, I have I have so much fun working on Citizens of Earth. Uh, and it's it's different from like Guacamelee. It, it, you know, Citizens of Earth is an RPG. Uh, and then, you know, Guacamelee is a action brawler. So they're really, other than both being 2D, they're really quite different. They both have wrestlers, don't they? <laughs> uh, <ours laughs> it's like a bodybuilder. Body yeah. yeah. Yeah, no wrestlers. No, not yet. Anyways, maybe we'll put one in for you guys. There you go. <laughs> Hulk Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just license out that. You know. <laughs> yeah. The tie no, between all games, Hulk Hogan. We're, we're trying to do something a little different though, where we actually are not naming the characters. I don't know if you guys have noticed that. So every character is sort of like their generic title. 
Yeah. So like you play as the vice president, bodybuilder, baker, barista. There's nothing like you don't have Tina or anything like that. We try to keep it more focused on, you know, what the character is. And we're going for, I think we were originally going for 50, but I think we've kind of pared that down to more 40 characters in the game now. And we found that by when you have that many characters, if they all have specific names, it's a lot harder to keep track of what they are. Whereas job titles are pretty universal universal across every, everyone. So, you know, everyone's going to know what a baker is. So if it's a lot easier to easily recognize that name and know exactly sort of what sort of attacks and, and abilities they'll have rather than if he was named Fred or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of like the genericness of the names and everything. I did notice that when I was playing the demo, and uh, it, it kind of played into the writing a little bit, which so far has been pretty funny. Like, I laughed out loud a couple times playing that little bit. Oh, yeah, excellent. Yeah, actually, uh, most of the writing is done by uh, Ryan, uh, another guy, Chris, and, and myself. So uh, oh. we don't really have any professional writers on staff. We basically just kind of... Someone takes a first crack at it, and then we just kind of iterate among the three of us, and, and we get other guys on the team to make suggestions as well if they have any, and we, we try to work it in as best we can and try to keep you know, the jokes consistent and, and, uh, and try to play them up as best we can. Uh, well, it was, it was definitely effective with me, and I mean, it definitely plays into the art style, which I'm really into. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, we've gotten a few comments saying it looks a lot like Flash, but it, we're not using Flash at all. We're it, actually all those those animations are hand drawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, so although it may look like Flash, it's really just that cartoony style we want. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, I didn't get Flash at all from what I. Yeah, saw. I think there there are people that call anything that's two D kind of yeah. hand drawn style. I mean, I've heard people call like Rayman Flash looking, and it's like, well, no, it. <laughs> It just go back to playing yeah, the Flash it's, it's games. The style. Yeah, I, don't know, I don't even know if Flash. I mean, art is art, right? I mean, yeah. I, I can have a yeah. problem with people who say it looks like an Unreal game because, yeah, really, you can put any textures and and stuff in a, an Unreal engine that you want. You can make it look however you want. So, mm-hmm. it, it's really it just looks like Gears of War because that game was so successful. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that just happens to use the Unreal engine. Yeah. But yeah, our game we we really wanted just we wanted to play out that cartoony style, and we really liked, you know, the old the old RPGs of the past that had, you know, like the Final Fantasy VI and Final Fantasy IV uh, and Chrono Trigger and Secret of Man and all those games. They have such like a, a awesome art style that we really felt compelled to create this the game a game that looked just like it, mm-hmm. or or mimicked it and that cartoony style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, I've, I can't wait to see that game come out. Honestly, like when uh, we last interviewed Ryan before the he had even, uh, oh, I guess it was the first time we interviewed him. He kind of hinted at us of what he was working on, and then by the time the second interview rolled around, I was just totally excited for that game. I love old school RPGs, so like I have yeah. Final Fantasy VI installed on my Vita right now. So, oh yeah, awesome. We um, I I really like. I don't know how you guys like the battle system, but I really like that sort of like tug of war mechanic we have right now where you have sort of the power and you have to balance regaining power or losing power. It adds like a nice little strategic element to the traditional, you know, battle of an RPG. Um, 
and I, I think I think it plays really well, and and we're gonna keep refining it and and make sure that it you know still stays fun even after we refine it more. Yeah, I I was totally totally into it. I like the different abilities and like the kind of support stuff for the few characters that you get in the demo. And even just the names of the moves, I was laughing a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're trying to bring the humor sort of across the board, and and I mean all the characters are are caricatures of their profession really so we're trying to overemphasize um what those moves are and mm -hmm. even with the enemy types we're trying to play up um sort of like their uniqueness and and jokes within the art style as well yeah like i think the first enemies you encounter are like the picketers outside your house yeah the hecklers and the protesters yeah and uh your brother is one of your char first characters and his ability is to wrestle because that's what brothers do they wrestle with each other <laughs> yeah that's right yeah yeah so i mean we, we're trying to play up all those all those sort of uh plays on the job well, i mean the brother isn't really a job but you know what i mean mm -hmm. their yeah, relationships yeah. the character <laughs> yeah and actually the game is uh is starting to progress we've we're polishing up the demo we did a lot of uh, art refinements and, and improvements to the art in general. So you may notice that in the demo you guys have, there's actually videos on YouTube uh, listeners can see, um, but it, it's it, it's a little stiff. Uh, you guys may have noticed like the the animation is just a little stiff. At that time, I think we had one part-time animator mm -hmm. uh, working on animations for us. And since then, we've gotten uh, two guys working essentially uh, like full-time on it. So it's a big improvement animation-wise, which is a big deal in a 2D game. You want to make sure the animations look fluid. Uh, and, um, yeah, we, I think we've got the core story all outlined, and, and now we're just trying to uh, make the game, finish it up. And, uh, and we got a lot of content to make, but we're, we're going to power through, and, and we got a lot of good ideas. That's great. I can't wait to see how that game turns out. Um, so, I mean, you uh, obviously doing work for Drinkbox with Guacamelee. Has that slowed down your Citizens of Earth work at all? Or is uh, their way of managing the, you know, the 40-hour schedule just been totally perfect? Yeah, well, the I actually take the train into work. So I bring my laptop and I'm able to work on the train and that's about a 40 minute train each way. Mm -hmm. So I get that time. Uh, and actually the drink box hasn't slowed down at all. I, I used to probably put in um, three hours a day or two hours a day working on eating industry stuff. Uh, but I just recently had uh, my first kid and that has slowed me down. So sure. uh, it keeps me <laughs> a lot more busy. <laughs> Well, congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Definitely. Um, yeah, so, I mean, now I'm able to put in probably about half the amount of time I was able to before. That's understandable. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. So you, uh, you're working on DLC for Guacamelee, or you did work on DLC for Guacamelee? Yeah, that's right. Uh, we, we don't really have anything... Uh, Official to announce like uh, anything else, but we did do the first uh, DLC version, and and actually I don't know when this will go up, but it's Guacamelee is actually on sale in Europe 
uh, right now, I think until July 17th. Um, so I don't know if that might be useless though to everyone listening, depending on when this goes up. <laughs> but yeah, we're, uh, hey, we're right now we jamming on new ideas. <laughs> yeah. We're jamming on new ideas right now for the next game and, uh, nothing to announce, but playing around with, uh, four or five different game ideas and just trying to feel them out and see which one's going to be the best fit for the company going forward. Yeah, so far, I've been a huge fan of what Drinkbox has done. Um, I really liked Guacamelee. Uh, I probably should finish it at some point. I uh, just I, I was playing a lot of it for a long time. I'm playing uh, mostly on my Vita, but uh, it was cross by, so I played a little bit on my PlayStation too. But I mean, just the art of that game, and I'm a huge wrestling fan, so just that alone would oh, enough yeah. to make me play it. But um, yeah, great. Actually, I should mention yeah, too that uh, the other. The other game, Mutant Blobs Attack, is on sale on Steam right now. That we did. Um, so if, if, yeah, if people want to play awesome. another sort of like physics... Yeah, if people want to play another kind of physics platformer, puzzler, uh, that's a great purchase. I think it's $2, which is ridiculous. Go pick that up right now. <laughs> uh, was that Mutant Blobs Attack or Tales are about a blob? Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's Mutant Blobs Attack, the second game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, I played a lot of that one on Vita too. I did finish that one. That was a fun game. Cool. But um so uh we kind of met through Twitter um just from I was talking to Ryan one day and uh uh, yeah, a friend I of mine stalked you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I think you had started following me even before that. Cause yeah, I that's right. Probably, yeah. probably just from uh, me mentioning uh, we were talking to Ryan. I think I uh, tweeting out our podcast or whatever. And, yeah, I um, think that's exactly what it was. Yeah, and so uh, Ryan had talked about you know people he had worked with before, so you you were definitely on that list. So I mean, we had talked a few times, and we kind of set this up because. Uh, a friend of mine introduced me to the uh, Film Junk podcast because uh, I was I'm always looking for like a movie podcast and I hadn't I don't really have one going on because I I've pretty much given up listening to music in my life and I just sure. transition from podcast to podcast at this point. Yeah, um, that's the way you do it. Yeah, <laughs> um, Pandora is the most I get into music and that's mostly when I'm with my girlfriend and she wants to actually listen to music instead of people talking. But, uh, yeah, a friend of mine introduced me to uh, Film Junk, and kind of a funny story, I had told him about Ryan after our interview, and he's like, he sounds very familiar to this guy they talked about on this movie podcast I listened to. Yep. And, yeah, I kind of put two and two together and figured out, oh, that they're all the same people. Yep. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, and then you um, had, I talked to Ryan, I started listening to it, and I had mentioned it to Ryan on Twitter, and you kind of jumped in and was telling me about it and then that's how we kind of set this up but um yeah what yeah. uh with film and game junk what's kind of your interaction with those guys and stuff like that yeah so uh well i'm not on the film junk podcast i'm on the game junk podcast though um so actually the film junk podcast i know all those guys we, we met at silicon knights so it all huh. comes back to silicon knights um <laughs> Actually, they so the host Sean and Frank, or not Frank, but uh, Frank and Jay, we all worked at Silicon Knights together. 
uh, Greg, who is not on the show anymore, but he didn't he didn't work at Silicon Knights, but knew Sean and Jay. And actually, Sean and Jay started that back when they were in university at Brock University in St. Catharines, uh, and they did a radio show called Space Junk, and they actually started it like way back in like 2005, even before like podcasting. Uh, oh no, I guess that's when the first podcast was released in 2005. Okay. And um, but at that point, they covered everything: movies, games, uh, pop culture, music, that kind of stuff. And then eventually decided to just focus on movies, and they changed the name to Film Junk. And and then uh, and then when I met those guys at Silicon Knights, um, Frank and Sean were kind of throwing the idea around of doing a game podcast. And after like a few years, they finally started one, and then I I butt my way right in there and and got the third chair. So uh, <laughs> and the rest is history. We we do it uh, like pretty randomly it's not your typical weekly podcast yeah we sort of we sort of wait uh, the film junk one is the film junk's a weekly podcast yeah they I've, i only started listening around uh, iron man 3 time but uh okay. i've been, been kind of hopping in here and there and uh it's, it's been real sure. enjoyable yeah they're actually up to like 426 episodes or something like that like crazy amounts i think it's probably one of the longest running podcasts going right now um, and then, wow. and, but it's really enjoyable. I listen to it too, although I'm not on it and, uh, <laughs> and game junk, uh, game junk's kind of random. We're all in the industry or used to be in the industry. And, uh, we actually just recorded our show last night for, uh, we're, we talked about the last of us and, uh, and E3, that's how out of date we are. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we do it about every two to four months, I'd say. And it's we kind of just let the news, the big news events, uh, come together, and then we t- talk about those all in one go. Yeah, that's sort uh, of. We, uh, that's sort of... Yeah, we had shared some uh, E3 conversation as well. Um, I'm just I'm just kind of curious. We hadn't really discussed this. Uh, just as a developer, uh, what your take on kind of just E3 as a whole was? I mean, there's a lot of. Uh, between Xbox and Microsoft in particular, a lot of swinging of developer talent going on. I was just curious on your kind of take from it. Yeah, um, well, I'm a pretty big PlayStation fanboy, uh, but from a developer standpoint, I think actually Microsoft won E3 as far as uh, the games they showed. I know a lot of people were mad at the the DRM stuff. Uh, Well, now that's not really the case with the yeah but but i actually think them reversing course on that was a mistake i think um all the stuff they talked about with yeah Yeah. i think all the stuff they talked about with the cloud computing and Mm -hmm. the the cloud computations was gonna be huge to rely Mm -hmm. on and i think um i think it's almost similar to how in the Xbox 360 you didn't have the hard drive, so you couldn't ensure that you could install files. Right. Um, so you had to make sure your game ran from disk. I think they've since removed that. But I almost feel like like I'm wondering if Titanfall uh, requ- like assumed that that cloud computing was going to be there. Mm-hmm. And now they might have to sort of, you know, 
reverse course and figure out how they're going to do it without the cloud computing because it's no longer mandatory. Yeah, I, 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 to me, I think Microsoft's biggest problem with all that was the way that they talked about it. They talked about it as if DRM was the important thing. And I honestly think that DRM was the conclusion that they came to from all the other stuff that they wanted to do. Uh, because you talk about like the game sharing and stuff like that. Well, it's like, how how can you ensure that somebody is keeping that game? Because if you know they, they get rid of it and they you know sell it to somebody else, but they still have it installed, then you know you you've got two versions of that one game existing. And then the other thing with the uh, the cloud computing, you know, it's like how can you guarantee um, that everyone has access to cloud computing? Just like you know, it's like you can't box in cloud computing, but you can box in a connect. So now they can assume that everyone has a connect, uh, and they can actually okay. develop for it. Um, so I, I think one of the biggest problems with the connect is that you know when they're only, I mean, twenty million or however many it's sold is you know a, a good number for a an add-on, um, but but when you've only got twenty million out of like seventy million, then you know you're going to be putting minimal resources to that if you're going to be developing it. Yeah, I'll give them credit. They did more than what Sony did with the move, but I mean, the the DRM was not what like I cared about on the Xbox, and uh, just nothing about their press conference really grabbed me. I, I I get a lot of mistaken flack for being a Sony fanboy, which you know I I love my PlayStation Three, I loved my PS Two, but I also loved my Xbox and my Three Sixty. Um, and I had my Xbox first. I didn't get a PS3 until way late in the game. And I just, just after everything going on, I just couldn't see a reason of why I would want an Xbox One. And I'm just not in that target market, I think is what it is. I don't have Netflix. I don't do a lot of TV stuff. And none of that stuff's going to grab me. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I mean, I, I like the games uh, Microsoft showed, mm-hmm. but... I really was never compelled to buy, like, I, I was never compelled after the show to pre-order an Xbox One or even think about getting it. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, I mean, for me, a, a big deal is made about the price, but for me, like, for the Sony, for the PlayStation, let's say, you're paying $400, which to me is a steal. Even Even $500 for the Xbox is a steal. If you look at what you're getting... You're getting this machine that lasts for 10 years, yeah. and it does so much stuff. Mm-hmm. Like a Blu-ray player alone is sometimes that much money. Uh, oh yeah. And now you're now you're getting a Blu-ray player plus this amazing gaming machine plus Netflix plus, uh, yeah. you know, NHL Center Ice, uh, all the other stuff that comes with it. Um, and I, I don't know. I think I think prices is. is I mean, maybe it's just because I have a job now and I have some more income that I can spend on games, and I'm not, <laughs> I'm not respond like, I don't have, um, I'm not going to anyone else to buy my consoles for me. But yeah, uh, it just it seems like people are paying more for iPads. Oh yeah, which blows my mind, and they're paying paying they're buying iPods more often or iPads more often mm-hmm. than uh, their consoles. I, I just I think the price is really not it shouldn't be as big as it seems like it is yeah in my opinion you know if you think that five hundred dollars is expensive then four hundred dollars is also still expensive and if you think four hundred dollars is cheap then five hundred dollars is still cheap yeah that's right yeah yeah. so you know 
Um, I had heard today, I don't know, I haven't looked around to confirm this at all, but a friend of mine had told me today that apparently John Riccatello had said somewhere that the uh, PS4 is equivalent to a $1,200 graphics card or something like that. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if anyone heard that. So, I mean, for 400 bucks, I'm totally cool with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know they have the 8 gigs of uh, GDDR or whatever it's called. GDDR? GDDR5, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, 5. Uh, I work RAM, on computers is, for a living. So. Which is really expensive. So <laughs> Yeah. That alone is, is probably getting up there in price. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, just to me, I was totally sold on Sony and I mean, it, when it comes down to it, I don't like a lot of the Xbox exclusives either. My favorite Xbox exclusive was Alan Wake. So yeah, Alan see, Wake 2 would probably be the thing to make me look at an Xbox one. Yeah, I thought, I thought there were some interesting games, uh, for the Xbox, but I think people also are making a big deal about how Sony has the edge hardware wise, but, mm-hmm. um, I think they're pretty equivalent overall yeah, yeah and i think I, actually never really yeah was... for me for me actually i think x uh microsoft's cloud computing would put it over the edge substantially uh like from like i do a lot of ai or i used to mm-hmm. and if you can push your like pathfinding computations up into the cloud and then just wait for them to come back yeah. Um, uh, can can that, you talk about that a little bit? Because that's actually something we've discussed on the podcast. Um, because as, you know, I mean, I, I work on computers for a living, but I don't do anything with AI or, or cloud computing. You know, I, I remove viruses and I sell Macs and, <laughs> and stuff like that. So um, could you talk about that just a little bit? Because it's one of those things where it's like, okay, that sounds nice and cool. But then when you say cloud, I also think about, you know, SimCity and Diablo 3 and that makes me scared. <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, they definitely have to have, like, a backup plan. Um, so um, I don't know the specifics of what Microsoft System is going to have. I don't, sure, I, sure. But so just, kind of, just kind of generals, like how, um, how pushing pathfinding to the cloud, how that would work. Because it seems like it would be something that would make it a lot slower and it, it wouldn't work at all. But... I'm right. So essentially, not... when you when you write a game, you you have to do pathfinding to make sure the guys know where to go. Mm-hmm. And how it's done is pathfinding is actually really slow computationally. So what normally you do is you you almost like kick off. Um, they call it threads. So you kind of run a, a thread that will comp that will calculate your pathfind your path for you. And what that allows you to do is still run the game. And, but not have to wait for that. So essentially, you kind of like uh, it, it's kind of like running your dishwasher, right? You have the dishwasher, or, or sorry, running your washing machine and your dryer. You can run them at the same time. You don't have to wait for mm-hmm. one to finish before the other. It's kind of the same concept. So you can you can run the game and you can do pathfinding at the same time and not have to worry about them getting in each other's way. Okay. But the problem is that um, if you could take all that information that you're you're crunching there and throw it up to a cloud, you could then use that processor to do effects, to do anything else you want. So okay. if you were able to take that and move it somewhere else, like the cloud, like Microsoft so you're saving cloud. saving some, some computing power to use for something exactly. else. Exactly. Yeah, so in theory, if that was possible, which I don't know that it is, um, that could give the Xbox One quite a substantial boost in sure. performance power. Yeah. 
that's not really clear immediately if it would be possible, but mm -hmm. it sounds like something similar might be. Maybe pathfinding is a little too complex, uh, but it did sound like you could run code essentially on their servers and have it return to you. Um, okay. Now, from like a more technical standpoint, you wouldn't be able to always rely on the cloud because lost packets and dropped internet connections, like you were saying mm -hmm. with like Diablo 3. Um, but in theory, if it was connected, you could save time. Um, they'd have like fail safes. So if you don't receive the data back in, let's say, 10 seconds, just move the guy to some random spot mm -hmm. as sort of like a backup and hope the path is right or something. Yeah, see, but in, in my mind, that. I don't even I can't really imagine how that stuff would work because you know ten seconds in terms of like computing time is is forever, yeah, and so you know probably, I think that probably number is way too large. Right, but right, but, right, but you know I, I think that that the the problem in in my head at least is you know the people already complain about the latency from the disk, uh, you know from packets there getting to the RAM, getting to the processor. Um, and if you want to hear me explain what RAM and processor is, then go back to one of our previous episodes because I actually went into that. It was one of the E3 ones, and it was awesome. Um, <laughs> I think that might have been Sony. I don't know. We've talked about that before. Yeah, it was. It was the. It was Sony and Nintendo's press conference. It was you, me, and Joel. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, but uh, you know, the, there's already issues there with, in terms of latency, and so that's why you put it on the hard drive, and so it, it's you know. It can expand a little bit. It goes faster. And then that's actually the whole reason that you have RAM is because that's a lot faster of a, oh, yeah. um, you know, storage space than the hard drive is. Uh, and it's, that's it's why... magnitude's faster. Yeah, and, and that's why, you know, flash drives are becoming... Or solid-state drives are becoming uh, more popular because they're fat... They're not faster than RAM, but they're faster than, you know, hard drives still. Um, yeah, so, there's no moving parts or anything that right. need to happen. Uh, but you know, it, when you put that on, you know, the internet, like that's you know, not only are you having to to deal with lost packets and things like that, uh, but I mean, it, that just doesn't seem like a reliable way to be sending information back and forth because that's not only is that you know going to the disk, which is you know this spinning thing, uh, but that is actually going outside of the box, and I don't know, I just I can't wrap my head around that being an efficient way of doing stuff. Yeah, it's actually uh, well. I mean, depending how close you are to the data centers, mm -hmm. it can be probably faster than you think. I mean, really? Okay. Uh, like, look at Halo, right? People play that game competitively, uh, and you know, it's like if you think about it, how the hell can you shoot a guy from the east coast to the west coast and have it be perfectly accurate? That, that's true. And yet, it basically is. Yeah. I mean, they do they do tricks essentially to make sure it works, but I mean, if you see a bullet go through a guy's head, I'd say 100% of the time in Halo 4, it actually is going to hit the guy. You won't run into the the case where you see a bullet go through a guy, but on the server it didn't. Right? It's really in sync. They're really good at making it in sync, and um, you can see the, through that on Call of Duty kill cams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I don't know if you guys. Uh, follow like john carmack but he a few um i don't think i'm smart enough for that <laughs> a few months ago a few months ago he was talking about how uh he was playing around with the oculus rift mm -hmm. and it took longer 
I think he said something like it takes longer for the signal to travel through the hardware from the uh, like graphics card to the Oculus Rift than it takes for like an internet packet to go like around the world and come back. Oh wow! That's so nuts. like something like that extreme it, to put it in perspective. Like that's how fast stuff like because essentially it's it's just like ripping out there and ripping back mm-hmm. and. Uh, there is some latency in there as you're doing the calculation, especially with pathfinding stuff. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, there are little tricks, and you try to minimize the amount of data you send and stuff like that. But it's 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 probably quite a bit faster than than you think. Sure. Yeah. And now now I'm even more sad that they kind of turned and did a 180. One, also just like it when people if if you're gonna make a ridiculous claim like they did, then go ahead and stick to your guns. Like that's that's the other part of that, like yeah, yeah. yeah. People are people are gonna complain. Like that's gonna happen. It's, it's the internet. Yeah, I think they were also <laughs> at a disadvantage. I'm sure that Sony had basically, you know, four or five different presentations depending on what Microsoft said. Sure. Ready yeah. to go. Oh, absolutely. So I'm sure that no matter what Microsoft said, Sony had the upper hand because their press conferences later. Yeah, so, they really uh, lucked out this year just from I, I don't know about lucked out. It was obviously planned with their announcement coming so early. Even before they had said we're going to wait for Microsoft to shoot first so that they just like, yeah, yeah, guess what we're announcing. Yeah. Then, I, yeah, being able to go last definitely. They obviously like there's no doubt in my mind. They had like multiple different plans laid out and were waiting just for certain things to come out. Yeah. Yeah. I think the the uh, the other thing is that um, oh you know I totally just lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> uh, damn, it was really good too. <laughs> As they always are. <laughs> um, I've I've always just been curious to hear about E3 from a developer, um, especially this year in particular. Um, the the self publishing on the PS4 do anything for you? Uh, I mean, definitely for I mean, with Drinkbox, we are right in there, right? That's all we've been doing so far is basically mm-hmm. doing the pub fund on on Sony's platform. So uh, that's awesome, awesome for indies. Uh, I mean, and you're seeing it with the resurgence of uh, the Vita. If you look at what uh, those guys are doing for the Vita, it's crazy. With all the cross buy coming out, I think yeah, Guacamelee is a really good um, example for that cross buy because that that game looks gorgeous on the Vita screen. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, there's so many indie titles coming out in the next, let's say, year that uh, are going to take advantage of that, and I think it's, I think it's a good time, it, or it will be a good time to be a Vita owner, although I don't know how many people are, um, <laughs> but I um, think I think I'm one of four on the site. Oh, yeah. Or, or five, maybe? I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure one of, like, four in your state, unfortunately. <laughs> I have 20 people on my near, thank you very much. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. Near is their, like, kind of street pass that 3DS kind of has. It's, oh, okay. These people are, it's literally, like, these people are near you, so. Okay. And then you can share game goods and stuff like that. Gotcha. I never use it. <laughs> I think also with Sony's announcement that PS4 games need to be playable on the Vita. Yeah, is huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm kind of waiting one... to see if there's going to be a bundle. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm big into sports games and RPGs, which may sound weird, but they're basically the same thing. <laughs> and um, sure. And the dream is always to be like playing your game of NHL or Madden, and then just you know, I got to go on the train. I want to continue this game, or I want to play the next game. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me just take it with me, and, and it carries over, right? Just the cloud safe stuff. So I think. Uh, the Vita and the indie games are kind of paving the way for that. And uh, I think if they do follow through with that, that's going to be really, really good for Vita sales and I think really good for gamers. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I really want another dancing game on my Vita. <laughs> Sorry. Another? Uh, they had the Michael Jackson experience, which uh, when the Vita first came out was one of the codes that we got for review. Ah. And it was forced upon me i would say but um <laughs> i actually ended up really enjoying it and i really want someone to make like a just dance or a dance central on vita with the same controls because i want more songs than just michael jackson songs but it's actually really fun to play and i'm hoping somebody can do that i'm sure ubisoft will come out with something I'm, yeah I'm, I'm hoping i'm i really am <laughs> that thing that thing needs some attention first of all uh. <laughs> The indie stuff has been really good for them, so hopefully the PS4 and the uh, cross-buy and all that stuff really helps them pick it up. Yep. Sure. All right, well, I, I think we're kind of uh, winding down and getting to the end of this, uh, so we're actually going to end this with a, a series of questions that uh, me and Brian Tyler, who's uh, one of the other guys that's often on these interviews with me uh it's kind of inspired by james lipton's questionnaire on inside the actors guild uh we call it the lightning <laughs> round um okay. so i'm gonna ask you these questions and you need to try to answer them as quickly as possible and there's okay, six I'll of them do my best all right so <laughs> who is your favorite video game protagonist so hero oh uh nathan drake okay acceptable <laughs> Who is your favorite antagonist? Bad guy. Uh, I'm going to have to go with uh, Sephiroth. Oh, I was really hoping you'd say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, what is your least favorite video game trope? Hmm. Uh, I don't know. Uh, whiny Japanese lead characters. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, Final Fantasy games. Yeah. <laughs> um, so besides Guacamelee, you can't name that. Uh, okay. What should people that have a Vita be playing right now? Oh. And you, you can't say Persona 4 either because too many people on this podcast talk about Persona 4. You so. know what? I haven't played the full game, but I played the demo for uh, FIFA. Okay. And actually, I loved it because you can use the back touchpad to direct your shots, which has always been my issue with FIFA, because I always shoot the ball over the net. Hmm. With the back touchpad, hmm. you can actually aim to the corner, so you don't have to worry about running to the left and shooting to the right being impossible anymore. Huh. That's interesting. Um, I've never seen a game utilize the back touchpad very well yet. Yeah, so. I just happened to play the demo, and I, I thought it was pretty neat, and I'm thinking about picking up next year's copy of that for the Vita. Yeah. I, if, if I was interested in soccer or you know football at all then that, that that'd be awesome <laughs> um all right so next question 
if for some reason all video games were gone tomorrow and you had to try another profession, any profession, what would it be? Oh, hmm. That's a tough one. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I want to make games. <laughs> um, I definitely would not do web development. That's for sure. Oh, I quit uh, on that. Sure. That's what I was originally going to school for, and I said no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's say uh, fisherman. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Like on, a, like on one of those big boats out in the ocean? Sure. Or... Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, like no, not like, not like uh, no, not like Deadliest Catch. Like uh, Bob Azumi. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I was thinking Superman at the beginning of Man of Steel for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then uh, the final question. At the end of your life, when you come to the pearly gates of the Mushroom Kingdom and Saint Toad looks over the deeds of your life. This is definitely a Brian question. I this, this is a Brian <laughs> question, yes. Uh, what do you want him to say to you? I want him to hand me a laptop with Visual Studio on it so I can make games. <laughs> Bam. Awesome. Um, so I guess uh, just you know, tell us um, where we can get Guacamelee. Uh, and any other games that you've developed recently um, uh, so that listeners can, can go sure. out and buy yeah. this? Uh, Guacamelee is available on uh, the PSN. I think it's regularly $15. Uh, also, Mutant Blobs Attack available on uh, PSN and Steam. And... Which I, I just bought during this recording. So. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, Two Human you can find probably in any bargain bin. And uh, same with probably X-Men Destiny. Oh, God, I said that's still $60 at Target. What? Yeah. I don't believe I, you. I will take a picture and send it to you, I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Waveform's available on Steam. And if you want to play a really uh, Missile Command iOS ripoff, there's a game I developed on uh, on uh, Apple I iOS called ELE. Those are the initials. Missile Defense. It's a crappy little Missile Command ripoff. <laughs> it seems like Missile <laughs> Command would be too easy on iOS because you can just tap where you want it to go. Yeah. Oh, and Daggerdale, I guess, is on uh, XBLA as well on PSN. All right. And, uh, yeah, don't obviously don't go to Target to get X-Men Destiny. If you want to play that, go to Amazon. <laughs> it's 15 bucks. Brand new. <laughs> or probably any other bargain bin for yeah. less. Yeah, I bet but, GameStop has it for like five. But honestly, get the Wii version. Get the Wii version. Come on. <laughs> I gotta get a Wii. <laughs> um, but I mean, honestly, why would anybody shop anywhere besides Amazon? I recently started subscribing to deodorant and shampoo. It's the best oh, thing God. in the world. I, I'm avoiding, like, I just feel like that's eventually where my life's going to lead. But I, I'm still trying to just go to a store. <laughs> no, no, I'm embracing it full on. It's, it's, I'm, it's I'm awesome. jealous of all your guys uh, Amazon what do they call them gold lightning days or something like that I don't know we don't have those in Canada so, I, uh, I those are as bad as like steam sales I try to stay away I know they're so good <laughs> you can buy so much the crap the most recent one I saw I didn't even get anything there wasn't really some of them are just kind of eh oh, well, I, better don't, than I don't need a wrench yeah, they're, they're yeah that's true them. All right, well, thank you, Andrew, for joining us. Uh, really enjoyed our chat today. Um, good luck with uh, Citizens of Earth and whatever you're doing next with uh, Drinkbox. Uh, wish you the best, man. Awesome, yeah, thanks. Thanks for talking to me, Mike, guys. Have a good night. No you problem. too. See ya. Have a good one.